Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Folks, it's going to be a really beautiful summery, 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 summery Memorial Weekend, which folks, it's always too short around here, so please get out and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, we could all use a little joy this weekend. It's been a tough, tough couple of weeks and we are going to talk about that on this podcast. We have a great panel this week, which includes Robert Craig, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Hey, Robert, how are you doing? I can't complain personally. Uh, We can all complain about the world, and I'm sure we will. Yeah, I hear you. And this panel has a special guest this week. We are glad to welcome State Representative Supreme Mora Mukunde. Supreme, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate being back here with you all again. Yep. As folks remember, uh, the state representative used to be an organizer here at Citizen Action. And so we're thrilled to have him back on. Um, You know, been wanting to have Supreme on. We've been talking about it now for a few months because we are working with him and uh, State Senator Chris Larson on an epic and critically important climate and jobs package, which we are going to talk about later in the show. And it's why we wanted to have uh, have the representative on, because we are super excited about it. We think it's absolutely critically important. We'll talk more about that later. But the reality of our world sort of drop, dropped upon us again this weekend. And the reality that I want to spend at least a couple segments talking about with, uh, with both of you is the proliferation of guns. And I'm going to say that because that's the, to me, it's everything. It's hangs over everything. And it unfortunately um, often isn't the heart of the discussion when these incidents happen. And incident I am of course referring to is we're, we're just less than 48 hours removed from uh, the, 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 the death, the, just the shame, just unspeakable. It's hard to even put it to words, the death of, you know, 21 more people, 19 children um, in Texas. And this is coming off of just the, the incident in Buffalo, you know, just, uh, e- just equally, if unspeakable in terms of the amount, just the horror and the frustration that I'll just say as the host before I send it to both of you, that it almost seems hopeless. And we have talked about this on this podcast over the last decade. We have had guests on, we've had people on when these incidents happen and nothing's changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. Uh, And what mostly has gotten worse is the feeling of hopelessness that we know that this proliferation of guns is not going to be addressed. And so I just start there. And I want to go to Representative Maura Mukunde for your initial just thoughts on what happened and get your initial comments. And then, of course, Robert, go to you and we'll take the conversation from there. Representative? Well, uh, well, thank, thanks, first and foremost. Uh, I remember when Buffalo happened. Um, I, I just remember that, you know, we live in a country that was, you know, founded upon, you know, free labor and um, uh, uh, state-sanctioned uh, uh, genocide, basically, state-sanctioned ethnic cleansing. Um, and, uh, and so remembering that and knowing that, um, and, and knowing that that never went anywhere, and that Trumpism, the election of Trump, 
kind of re-uncovered these kind of feelings of people. You had somebody go into um, a grocery store who had been uh, casing the place and uh, going to kill Black people, had manifestos written, um, et cetera. Th there was a really intelligent individual, his name was Born King. He, he talked about how maybe this is the, you know, these uh, white supremacist gangs that are recruiting these young shooters to go into places and do these kinds of crimes. And uh, because what we're gonna be talking about afterwards is just the manifesto. Um, so they can get that out there. But as a black man who lives in America, I know that my people are always under assault in many ways, shapes and forms. And so um, I'm devastated, heartbroken. However, I am not surprised. Robert, your your initial thoughts. I, I think as heartbreaking as it is and uh, to hear about each of the lives that was lost, each child, a life cut short and uh, some of them already clearly that we're going to be, we're remarkable people and we're going to be remarkable adults and it's all cut off, um, is heart-wrenching. What is, we got to remember about American society though, is, is that we, a little like 9-11, we react this way to something that is, that we can see that's graphic, these 19 kids, right? And, and can empathize with, what would be like if you were in second grade and someone came in and barricaded themselves in and started killing all your classmates and your teachers, right? Um, but then in, as far as magnitude and 9-11 is the same way, which uh, we were right to be, very, to be distraught over, but then it was used as a political justification to, call, to kill hundreds of thousands of people in Iraq and spend $8 trillion that could have created a green resilient racially equal economy if we invested it here. And so, but we have to also take a step back and realize that folks, a thousand people are dying a day of COVID. Okay, does anyone notice? Is there any attention to it? It's like been normalized. The deaths from runaway climate change will be far greater. And so it, this, I wanna go fundamental that we're as a society Currently, our biggest challenge is we can't solve any fundamental problems that matter to people. And that's to the advantage of the right-wing conspiracy to end democracy because they're trying to discredit democracy, right? The, even the possibly democratic government, they like the Hungarian model better, right? Uh, Viktor Orban. And everyone who is not part of that, that is the broad Democrat coalition, which is not all progressive, we all know that, it needs to either be able to act and act boldly and decisively, or democracy is discredited by each and every step of this. We also have to be honest with ourselves. Yes, the proposals Democrats are making in Congress would make it better, right? Would, re would reduce some of the gun mayhem, but it's not all that would be necessary to make this impossible. And we, we, we don't make that clear, just like we don't with little half measures on climate, for example, or, uh, or, or COVID or any other of our major challenges, uh, racial justice, criminal justice reform, right? Where we're going backward. And so we got to get serious. It needs, it requires a different level of leadership than we're used to, a lot more courage. A lot of folks have been saying that. I mean, anti-racist uh, uh, writers like Ibram X. Kendi and a lot of others that we just need a lot more courage 
And I'm very interested in what Supreme and Matt's thoughts are. You could say it may, it may be pan, panned. It, it may look like a circus act. It may actually not help him win the governor's race. Beto O'Rourke went and did something that a conventional politician usually do. And in a way, revealed the other side because they started screaming at him in, a, in, 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 in an outrageous way from the stage, right, when he did that. But it was a horrible performance by Governor Abbott and company where they were blaming it on mental health while saying that there's no evidence there was a mental health issue. And they're not doing anything about mental health. You, you need major public investment to do that. And here's the problem. If there was a city, there probably are all over the or place, where they prevented a mass killing, those people aren't heroes because it was prevented and it never happened. So we're a weird species in that you're more of a hero if you, um, if you go and don't prevent something but stand on the scene and say the right things. And if you prevent it altogether, you're not even a hero or even recognized. So, I mean, that's a big problem. I think we should get to, I know I'm throwing a lot at the kitchen table here, and that is the police apparently stayed outside for a long time, didn't go in as the mayhem was going on. And then the solution, even Democrats are starting to fall to is we just need more police. Well, we'll, we'll get into that, Robert. Let's, let's get into that in the next segment. But before we do that, Supreme, your response to uh, Robert's questioned us about uh, Beto O'Rourke. Well, it, it does seem like it, it was kind of put together. There were some activists there in the back of the room and they were shouting, let him speak, let him speak. So it did appear that there were some activists, probably uh, uh, Latinx activists as well, because a lot of the children that were killed and the teachers who were killed were Latinx. And so um, it, it does look like it was kind of a, I don't want to say performance, but it was planned, but it was great. I mean, because I, I'm faltering to what happened when Steve Kerr said, I'm not talking about basketball today. We got a bunch of babies that were, kill, were killed 400 miles. Enough is enough. There are 50 senators that are holding this up and we need to get active uh, gun reform legislation on the table. And so um, I think that it's good to call them out. And I'm glad that it was put together by a, what appears to be a bunch of activists and a bunch of organizers. And I don't know if it'll help or hurt, but it does seem like it was authentic. I'll say it that way. Yeah, look, Robert knows this. I'm not a fan of Beto O'Rourke and his, his kind of politics per se, but I actually liked what he did because, I mean, well, first of all, just electorally, He's going to lose otherwise. He needs a shock and he needs to try to electoralize and move some people. And so it's a sure it was a stunt, but I at least I, I, I agree. There'll be all different kinds of things that need to happen. I'm glad to see he at least got attention. And as Robert said, called out, it showed their response was vintage in terms of trying to shout him down. Uh, but after the break, I do want to get into a couple of the particulars because I want to further the conversation that Robert started to get at. One, police make us safer. And two, this idea that we, um, we ought to have armed guards or better harden our schools. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground of Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground of Wisconsin. We're fortunate to be joined by State Representative Supreme Moore Makunde. And of course, Robert Craig, and we are talking about the proliferation of guns. And we're doing it within the context of just, you know, a horrific couple of weeks on big, large things. And Robert in the first episode, and he's done this every time we talk about it, rightly points out, it is only usually in these moments where it's, we're fixed on it. But this problem is a daily, daily problem. Um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the specifics because we brought this up. I brought it up when we were talking about the Milwaukee stuff last week, and I was very upset about the the response or the idea that somehow we need more police. You know, the reality of the situation is this kid got by armed security. Okay, he was so armed that the armed security couldn't stop him getting into the school. Then there he was for a long time before they could muster the artillery to deal with this kid, who, by the way, got this all in the last few days, right? So armed guards don't make us safer. And God knows you put armed guards in the school. Anytime you have an armed gun in the school, it's inherently risky. So that's, it's crazy, but it didn't stop the situation at all. This dude was more armed than the police. It's just, and, and yet we're going to hear this. And Robert, you mentioned the other one around mental. We immediately default to like blame mental health, right? Like, look, folks, anyone who does this has some level of, you know, they're struggling with some level of men, mental health, you know, without overly diagnosing it. So it's not that. And by the way, our country stands out into every other country in the world. And everyone's dealing with mental health issues, right? Especially in this time. So it's not that. And this issue called it out. And you're right, Robert, you talked about the Texas governor saying, oh, clearly, you know, mental health, you know, uh, when he talks about this, but yet then admitted there was absolutely no history of mental health with this kid. So by the way, he's 18 years old, right? So what are we talking about? Um, so I just want to get your responses to that because I do like, look, the, the idea that we can police ourselves out of the proliferation of guns is insane to me, but yet it remains a core argument from the other side. Representative? Yeah. So first and foremost, uh, I think we need to have a conversation about the gun culture in the United States of America. Um, we have an, a whole amendment to, the, to our Constitution that says you have the right to bear arms. And there is a multi-billion dollar industry that bases its entire existence on that amendment. Um, they make billions of dollars a year. Um, and so we have this fervent gun culture that says, you know, Cops and robbers go out and play and pretend like you're shooting each other as children. And it gets built up from there. You'll take my gun from a cold, dead hands, et cetera. And so immediately when something like this happens, we talk about mental health to, to steer ourselves clear of talking about the gun culture in the United States of America. And then we have this phrase that says the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And having, what if we had these armed guards in school? Now, as a black man who lives in America, I'm concerned about that armed guard in the school when my five foot seven, 10 year old son who weighs a little over a hundred pounds gets upset and has a childlike moment. And then all of a sudden you bring in that armed guard into the classroom. And then later that armed guard is saying, well, I felt my life was in danger. And so now my, and these are not military compounds that we're sending our children to. I don't want to have to walk in and say, you know, well, uh, here's your armed guard with, with the AK-47 or the AR-15 protecting your school, protecting it from who? Because every time I see these officers um, in schools, 
Uh, I always I, I go back to in South Carolina where I saw an older man tossing a young lady around the room. And he was the, the, the police officer, the, the, the resource officer. And, you know, when I worked at Citizen Action on, on um, substance abuse disorder, they had officers where they used to have the nurses in the schools. Because if you want to talk about mental health, let's talk about having more mental health and healthcare professionals in our schools rather than armed people. If we really want to solve those issues. And um, I just think we're, we're trying to ignore the fervent gun culture and doing something about that in the United States when we talk about mental health, because we don't really want to talk about mental health. Robert. Well, it's all evasion, because what is Greg Abbott of the state of Texas done about making mental health an entitlement and having rapid response teams and huge public information campaigns to say, you see these signs, because there are signs when someone is going off track and could become dangerous, report them, and then there being an infrastructure to deal with that. There might be the power, enough resources for one individual to figure out themselves and help one person, but systemically, no, right? And, and, there's, and they don't want to do it. They just want to evade. So here's the problem. We know who the Republicans now are. This is not the Republican Party of old, okay? This is not the party of Lincoln. Um, it's a party of Trump. So here's the thing. What are the rest of us going to do? Because this becomes a ritualistic dance. They'll be, and that's what Beto O'Rourke was saying, right? And I, I will say Julian Castro has a lot of credibility, praised him on national TV last night. And I don't even know they're natural allies, but I'm saying that for just standing out and trying to do something to break it up, right? And to, and to bring attention. But here's the thing. When we fail and the next one happens, next one happens, what do people do? They turn away from their own democracy, right? That was a threat to democracy in the early 1930s. We will forget that there was a consensus growing that democracy didn't work because it was fascism was coming everywhere and that we were going to have to become a more authoritarian society. And the New Deal, which actually resolved the, the crisis, made a, an existential threat to the country economically, reinvigorated the idea we could actually do this through liberal democracy. So we got to get serious. The threat to democracy is not just elections and, uh, elect and, and, and voter suppression. It is our inability to act on the people's problems, okay, and the inability to make them see that democracy is the way to improve life, right? And not only prevent major, major horrible tragedies like this, but to create equal opportunity for everyone, for real, right? And so the problem with the ritual is it's self-perpetuating. We've seen this over and over again. And the media, you can go and praise them and say, oh, look how much attention they're giving to it, right? Well, in fact, they're making profit off of this even more than the gun manufacturers. This is clickbait, right? And this is, and, uh, and, and for, for TV, this is more viewers and therefore more ad revenue. So they're a little part of this dance too. And, you know, the Democrats look ridiculous because they stand up and condemn this time after time, get nothing done, can't get to 50 votes in the Senate. And then why does anyone think that there's any solution? Why wouldn't they be fatalistic? Why would they even defend this democracy? Well, this begs the question, if there was an issue that you would, you know, Manchin, I saw him last night going after, quote, Republicans around this. Why would you be in the Senate? If there's any reason to be elected to the Senate, I was thinking, well, you know, I would turn that back at you, sir. And how about we look at the filibuster for something as critical? Like, 
it, it this is Robert, when you say the Democrats look bad on this, it's always gets around to this. There's like hyperventilating over the issue in public, but then not actually having the political, like following through with the policy and saying, well, but I would, thinking that the filibuster, which nobody really thinks is super legitimate at all, is more important than any of these intractable issues. And we talk about this on a whole host of issues, whether it be, you know, uh, 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 criminal justice reform, police reform, uh, healthcare, climate, right? We keep coming into this block, democracy, right? Like we couldn't even get the Senate to get off this for the basic idea that like, we're heading into an election where democracy is imperiled. And, you know, the filibuster was more important than that. And let me let me put a quick finer point on the filibuster here. Chris Murphy, the senator from Connecticut, who's been a champion on this since Sandy Hook. Um, he was on, I think, Chris Hayes and last night. He was asked about Mansion Toomey. Uh, that's a bipartisan thing that that and he says, first, we have to understand it's very limited. All it does is close the loophole that says that there that online commercial sales and certain things like gun shows have no background check when ones at stores do, okay? So it's very minimal. And he says, you know what? There might be three Republican votes for it. So you can't pass even that. Oh. So that is a situation if you have a filibuster and you have two Democrats, two at least at Republic, I think there are a few others standing behind them who don't want to remove the filibuster either, Coons, Warner, et cetera, who are kind of being weasels about this, but it's more than just Manchin. And what, I mean, we know the Republicans think their political power is more important than the lives of kids. That's obvious. But it looks like there are moderate Democrats who are acting the same way, and they are the, they are the marginal difference between us being taking effective action and perpetuating the ritual of discrediting democracy entirely and doing nothing and continuing this cycle. Representative Moore, you get the last word in our final minute here on this segment. We could talk about this for an extended period of time. Um, I, I will say this. I think it's time to put the blame where the blame belongs. Um, we have to do more um, for the gun manufacturers. And what are they talking about um, uh, uh, in our communities? We have all this easy access to firearms in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, you, you can have the you can gain the right to conceal carry a weapon and never have fired a weapon ever in your life. There's a problem with that. I think the ability to go and get the firearm day one and take it with you. Um, you don't have the 48 hour cooling off period. Or, you know, guns cost a lot of money. If I buy one today and something happens to my car, I want to be able to bring it back, but you can't. Um, uh, and so I think we really have to ask the gun manufacturers what it is that they're willing to do to help us ease the burden of, of uh, uh, gun violence um, in our country. With that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We are going to move our attention a little bit to some in-state news that's happened and uh, also need to spend most of the time, though, we want to talk to uh, the representative about 
the introduction of the climate and jobs package. So before we do that, though, I do just want to mention the big news last night where uh, the election commission, which we have been talking immensely about because it's super important right now. But um, Dean Knutson, one of the Republican uh, commissioners, has been there for five, six years, very, you know, former state rep, very much conservative Republican, uh, has stepped down because and called out the Republicans last night, said, you know, you guys with this constant obsession that this election was stolen and basically called them out and stepped down. And so they they delayed their vote on the next uh, chair of the uh, leader of it, which is going to be super important. Um, but big news shows that the, there are fissures within the Republican Party on this. Uh, Representative, any thoughts you have before we go to the climate and jobs package? Yeah, so uh, Dean Knutson, hero or go? Um, and so that's the, the, the main question, uh, because uh, he talked about, I'm getting called a rhino or Republican in name only um, by my people. And he's like, hey, folks, uh, Trump lost. And it, it's good to hear him say that because there are a lot of folks who are waffling on the issue. They don't know where they stand on it at one point. At one point, Robin Voss was like, no, you know, the 2020 has been settled. The next thing he's talking about, let's have these folks come to my office and talk to me about it. And then he changes his tune at that point. Um, I remember when the January 6th attacks happened. Um, back in the day, they would say, if liberals won this or progressives did that, what would they do if they were trying to, to sub subvert our democracy? Um, I remember the worst thing that I ever saw folks do was say, hey, uh, we should not uh, uh, certify this election. And this was Bush v. Gore back in the 2000s. And then you have people storming the Capitol. This is what people would do if um, it, when they don't get their way. And so uh, he's like, we lost. We lost. Let's move on. I, he probably voted for Trump, but, but, but we lost. And I'm glad to see that someone is beginning to ring that bell from that side. And there, like you said, there are fissures within the, within the Republican Party because a lot of these folks are Trumpers. And he's like one of the biggest populist people since I don't know who. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, we'll we'll have to track this. The one downside, right? He resigns. They didn't take the vote. They'll probably replace him. Uh, it would have been nice if he had maybe just taken the vote and made sure that um, the complete uh, right winger conspiracy theorist uh, Bob Spindell is not the chair, but uh, we'll have to track it. But I want to switch topics. Just wanted to get your thought. Robert, you got something you wanted to say on this? All right. Dean Knudsen is more of a traditional conservative. I dealt with him when he was in Joint Finance Committee chair. Nice guy isn't really with us on most issues, but at least believes in the mechanisms of democracy. You can talk to the man, you can get some kind of accommodation. So old school, he's not rocking any boats. He's walking away. He's saying, if the Republicans are going to disown me now, the Trump Republicans, then I'll just walk away. And here's the problem. The chair now has to be either Swindell, who was part of the insurrection, the whole uh, the legal part of the conspiracy, or whoever Voss appoints. And here's the question. Robin Voss, we know, doesn't think the election's stolen, but is constantly trying to play both sides. What will Robin Voss do? There'll be immense pressure, maybe from Trump himself, to put someone in who is an insurrectionist 
And then either they are Swindell or Chair, or does Voss try to actually put someone in more reasonable? That'll be interesting to see. But again, this is yet another little piece where the, the rare thing we saw in 2020, where the WEC, the Election Commission, aside from Swindell, actually acted appropriately in a pandemic, right? And actually allowed, say, nursing home workers to vote in a pandemic, uh, that's going away. And now what happens? The WEC becomes dysfunctional if you have three Democrats and three insurrectionists. How does it make any decisions? Well, look, a little preview for, for I'm sure everyone on this August panel has already figured this out. Folks, elections close, goes to the election commission, 3-3 three, three, off to the state Supreme Court. We know where that ends. So just a little sobriety, I agree, uh, walked away. Uh, but with that, let's focus on something positive as we head into uh, Memorial Weekend, which is going to be nice and sunny, and hopefully people can rejuvenate, spend some time with family, right? Remind ourselves uh, what we love. Let's go get some, uh, as SEIU like to say, we need some more roses this weekend. I think everybody needs some more roses. Uh, but Supreme, legislatively, there's a hell of a rose uh, coming in this uh, uh, package called the Climate and Jobs Package that you and uh, uh, Senator Larson have been planning uh, along with Citizen Action and others for a number of months and uh, hopefully will be, uh, will, it, it will be launching next month. So I wanna give you an opportunity just to tell our listeners a little bit more about this and we'll talk about, uh, Robert, a follow-up, we'll talk about why this is absolutely so critical here in Wisconsin. Well, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, so first and foremost, it's it's the entire package is going to come out probably in the beginning of the next session in January. However, we do want to start having the conversation about it next month. Um, and so what has happened initially already is that Governor Evers has uh, put out his clean energy plan and taking that clean energy plan and talking about it. There, what it's asking is that government legislative branches step up and put some more meat and potatoes, if you will, sorry to all my vegetarian friends, but um, they put some more uh, teeth into what we're doing. And so what we have done and what we have been doing um, in the legislative branch, myself, Senator Larson and some others, is saying, great, well, we've got this idea that we've been working on um, with some of our partners to talk about making sure that we are greener in everything that we do, because it's really about you know, changing our lives on, on a very core basis. Because the conversation that we had today, when we talk about the threats to our young people, the threats to black and brown folks, et cetera, we have to have some sense of urgency behind these things. And, and these are affecting our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And what is also at the door of affecting our lives on a day-to-day -day basis is climate justice and, and the need for a greener economy. So we're meeting at the conjunction of jobs, housing, climate justice, and the economy. That's what this bill is basically doing. And, and it talks about you know, core things like reducing our carbon um, emissions or in setting rules to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, giving incentives for solar use, creating a just transition to uh, for those industries who need to transition to a greener uh, um, infrastructure. We're, we're talking about a number of those kinds of things. And 
it's going to, we're going to talk more about it in June and the big package is going to come out. It's about 60 some pages. So it's a really big piece. And we're, it's going to talk about housing, how we deal with housing, how we retrofit rules, how we build solar panels, how we have jobs to help support these retrofitted homes and roofs, et cetera, and how we hold companies accountable, corporations accountable as well. Because I can tell you all day to go recycle and to not run your dishwasher more than twice a week. However, I want to hold these larger people who are doing all the emitting or the majority of the emitting accountable as well. So there's going to be a lot of great things in the bill, a lot of meat for, sorry, sorry again to my vegetarian friends, a lot of things to chew on if you will. Thanks. Well, I'll throw it over to Robert and as a vegetarian friend. How about Robert, you give us some cattle to chew on. Well, lots of veg vegetable protein. So here's, here, let me, let me because we don't want to reveal everything, want to get news coverage when this is released. And we've been proud to work with Representative Moore McCunday and Senator Larson on this. Nonsense. We're breaking news here, Dr. Craig. Well, uh, the governor, as we've said here before, is deserves praise for actually creating a framework and getting serious about the idea we would actually do what's necessary, which is cut emissions by nearly in half by 2030. And folks, the talk clock is ticking and they're increasing every year, right? Um, but we know if we're gonna open up the economy prevent runaway climate change, that that's an opportunity to make an equitable economy. And what uh, Senator Larson and Representative Moore McCunday here have done is they're coming up with the progressive example of how you would achieve the governor's goals. Now, others can provide other legislation. We'll see if it actually would meet the goals, right? Will it be highly equitable? Will it increase equality, the, the income, reduce the income gap, get rid of the racial coding of our, of our economic class system and our economic caste system really in the state or, or not? But will it really meet the standard? It can't be half measures. And I compared that to what we're, we've done on guns and everything else as a Democratic Party nationally. This is what's necessary, telling the public what is actually necessary and what the benefits would be. And that's what this bill does. And without that, how can you have a functioning democracy? Back to my theme for this battleground Wisconsin. If we don't have people telling the public what could be done to actually address the issue, here's how it would work. Here's all the benefits to you and everyone in your community if we do it. And legislature was supposed to be the place where the public learned and we debated different ways to address public problems. And that created public understanding and then the basis for them voting and choosing sides and candidates and elections. And with gerrymandering and with no deliberation in, state, in the state legislature and the Senate, they're not deliberative bodies at all. They're rubber stamps for what the majority decided with lobbyists behind closed doors. Uh, then that that damages democracy as well. So this is about restoring democracy. And we got to start by having legislators who will write what is necessary to start that public education process. Well, folks, we will, we are going to talk more about this package when it's unveiled in a few weeks, but we wanted to preview it here. With that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground of Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Folks, as you know, uh, we talk about it all the time. We have here at Citizen Action organizing cooperatives all over the state. And uh, one of our earliest and hottest areas where we have lots of members in organizing uh, is the Eau Claire area. And there was big news this week in Eau Claire uh, that um, want to talk about. And so we have a special guest 
uh, Citizen Action's organizing director, but the most important reason we have her here is she is also a city council member in Eau Claire. And Kate, big news this week around water in Eau Claire. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wish it was under better circumstances. <laughs> well, it's under some good news. Uh, and I'll give you a second here to tell our listeners what happened. But it sounds like this is at least there. No decision's been made. And so there's time. And that's why we wanted to have you on. But get our listeners up to speed. What's going on in Eau Claire uh, around a, a California company coming in and trying to purchase city water? Tell our listeners more. Yeah, so um, this week uh, at the Eau Claire City Council, there was a proposal to approve a, um, a, a new corporation in the city of Eau Claire, a California-based water bottling corporation that is interested in um, linking into the city water system and purchasing um, up to 10% of our current water usage. Um, so a significant That's amount a of water, yeah, a significant <laughs> amount of water in Eau Claire. Um, it would be about eight, over 800,000 gallons of water per day and over 300 million gallons a year. Wow. Um, now, um, I want to mention that they would be purchasing this water through the city, city water utility, but they would be purchasing that water per gallon at actually a lower rate than residents uh, pay themselves. Um, then, of course, they would be battling it and um, selling those water bottles at a much uh, inflated cost. Um, so basically getting a, getting a great deal in our water and then selling it back to us for, for oh, you know, hundreds of times higher. So obviously, uh, it, this is my understanding, um, Kate, that there was going to be a vote on Monday and in, in, or Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday the, earlier this week, but it was held back. Tell us more and tell us sort of what this opportunity is and why you see this as such a critical moment and juncture for not only the city of Eau Claire, but other communities around Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. So this decision was really sprung on the city council and it was certainly sprung on the, the, the people of Eau Claire. Um, we had, um, you know, hundreds of emails come into our email box on Monday, um, the, the day of the public hearing. And we had dozens of folks at the city council who said, hey, I just heard about this today. How can you possibly expect me to speak on this huge decision in you know, less than 24 hours after hearing about it? Um, and so uh, lots of folks were very concerned about this proposal. And on, on Tuesday in our legislative session, the city council voted um, eight to two to postpone this decision for three weeks. Now, um, I voted against that postponement, um, not because I don't believe that uh, the city um, and, and the people of this city deserve a say in this, but I think uh, that that three weeks is just, it can't possibly be enough to gather a, a, the information that we need to make this decision. Um, I, my, um, my preference would have been to postpone for much longer to develop a water usage policy or a, a comprehensive plan, just like we do with our, our land, which is another um, finite resource that we, that we have to manage in the city of Eau Claire. And so um, I'm concerned about the short timeline um, and, and can't imagine, you know, what more information we could have in, in, that, in that short amount of timeline. But 
Um, I am feeling um, energized because it gives us three more weeks to organize. It gives us three more weeks to hear comments from, um, from citizens. And I would encourage anybody um, listening, um, definitely from the city of, Claire, uh, city of Eau Claire or outside of the city of Eau Claire to email us um, with comments about this. And if you do live in the city, um, please uh, consider showing up at our public hearing that will be coming up um, on June, Monday, June 13th uh, at 7 p.m. at City Hall. Folks, it's really important if you're in the area that you get out and and, and speak your piece. Uh, this is, Kate, this is absolutely critical. I mean, we talk about water a lot in the state right now around CAFOs um, and, you know, concerns around that. But this, what you're facing, I think is the beginning of we're going to see a lot more of this. Um, the, the, the water issues around the world and in this country are bad. And we are, this area, we are blessed with tremendous amount of fresh water. And folks, are there's going to be increasing pressure. And I think, Eau Claire, you all are sort of on the tip here of this issue. And it's really important that other municipalities start to prepare. Um, so uh, really appreciate you uh, basically alerting uh, the city and others about this, coming on today and talking more about it. Anything else you wanna make sure our listeners know before we let you go? You gotta go back on vacation. We really appreciate you <laughs> coming on your vacation and talking with us. Yeah, um, well, I, I just wanna reiterate that um, I don't believe that this is gonna be the end of it um, with climate change impacting um, us here in Wisconsin, but uh, really impacting um, folks out west and all around the country with fires and droughts and other other horrible um, circumstances. Um, there are gonna there's gonna be a lot of folks who who want this water, and certainly we're gonna um, need to to rise to the challenge to um, to be resilient in this country to provide water for more people. Um, but we need to do that really smartly, and we um, here in Eau Claire we need to make sure that. Um, as as climate change becomes more um, it impacts our country more that we're smart about how we're using the, the water and um, and and providing that need and not just selling it off to, to any corporation uh, that comes along and so I, I completely agree that this is only the beginning and I'm I think the one really good thing that's going to that's going to come out of this is that the city of Eau Claire I hope is going to be really seriously looking at a water usage policy. Um, that can be used in Eau Claire, but also serve as a model for other communities in the state of Wisconsin um, to really um, proactively uh, take action to create policy on how we use our water statewide. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming in, educating us, and of course, uh, leading the fight there in Eau Claire. We really appreciate it. And um, we expect we're going to be hearing more about this. And hey, folks, if you're leaders in other municipalities, please, right? Like that this these kinds of pressures are going to be coming and uh, we need to organize and we're thrilled at citizen action to have an inside outside strategy where we have someone like kate who's both on the inside jeremy on the inside former organizer andrew worthman also on the inside but we need more people on the outside folks join our co-ops get involved we lead on fights like these please uh, check the link again kate thanks so much for joining us today thanks matt well that was Great to hear from Kate Beaton. Folks, please, if you're in the Eau Claire area, get active, get involved, reach out to Kate or reach out to our organizer, Jeremy, uh, and we'll start to push back. 
But uh, before we go, we still got three more minutes uh, with this August panel. And uh, Representative, I wanted to give you an opportunity. We you know, cut a little short because we, we had to take a break. If there was anything else you wanted to add about uh, the climate and jobs package or any of the other topics, or if there's something that's going on right now uh, that you wanted to make sure our listeners knew about, the floor is yours. Well, thanks a lot, Matt, uh, Robert. Uh, I think that this climate justice package really is going to ensure that those who need access to employment are going to have access to employment because we, during deindustrialization, we shut down and we had great neighborhoods who were thriving. Milwaukee was once considered one of the safest places to live because we had this thriving economy. You could graduate high school, go work at A.O. Smith or or you could go work at Adelphi or someplace like that. And if you didn't like that job, you quit and you went to another one. We need to bring back those kinds of industries or something that is comparable. And I think we have the ability to do that with this if we are really willing to focus um, on uh, a greener economy. And we got to make government spend money. We have, we, it can't be like, oh, I'm a fiscal conservative, this on this, that, and the third, that this is at our doorstep. This is right here. And we need to spend the money to make sure that we do it. We need to invest in the lives of our young people, in the lives of our future, in the lives of everyone that, that is around us. We've got to spend the money. And Where is the money? Richer and we'll have more money, right? It's not actually a loss if it's an investment like this. Right, exactly, exactly. We got to invest. And we, we, there's a great return on our investment, but we got to spend that money and not say, or oh, I'm going to choke it until, you know, George Washington chokes on the dollar. <laughs> Folks, one of the things, and I'll just, I want to recenter this um, and look forward to diving more when this, when this package is introduced. But look, the reality is for Wisconsin, for Milwaukee, for Racine, for a lot of our communities, the last 30 years, this economy that we're coming out of has not been good for us. It's not been good for a lot of our communities. We now have the greatest disparities between African-American and whites. We should lean in to this new economy. It, we should not be trying to hold it back. What, what the representative said, we need to put our resources and put the full agency of our government of creating a fair and just economy the new economy, the green economy, that's gonna help us deal with the climate genocide. We, ab we absolutely must lean into this and uh, Representative uh, Moore Umakunde, we really appreciate that your leadership and really do appreciate you coming on the show today and helping center that, at, you know, both with this package, but also this broader conversation we had around the proliferation of guns, really appreciate you. Appreciate you. With that, folks, we got to go. We got to wrap up the show. Please, please get out. Enjoy the sun. Spend some time with family, somebody you love, you know, re rejuvenate the soul. Summer's here. We're going to need it. We have a lot of challenges we face. I uh, want to thank both Representative Supreme Moore Makunde and Eau Claire City Council member Kate Beaton for uh, joining us. And of course, our producer, Brian Woldridge, who makes the show happen every week. Folks, we'll see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>